Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, February the 10th, 2023. It is currently 9.42 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Have you ever had one of those days where literally from the moment your eyes opened to the minute they your eyes close for the next day. In fact, I don't know when my eyes are going to close. So for, so for me, my eyes haven't closed again. But from the minute my eyes have opened until this very moment right now, it has been an absolutely horrific and a very, very, very bad day. It has been one of those days. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's just been, it's been absolutely crazy. So when a day has gone absolutely bad, when a day has gone absolutely horrible, you feel, you just feel like kind of just giving up. What should you do? Well, for me, what I decide to do is to walk up the steps to the studio, turn on the microphone and ask this question. Is the problem In the church in 2023 is the major problem in the church in 2023 is the problem demon possessed Christians. Is that the solution to a great awakening is why the thing that's holding back the greatest awakening in the history of the church? Is it demon possessed Christians? Is it a situation where the lost needs salvation, but the saved needs deliverance. Is that the problem? When you look, when you look to your own Christian life and you realize that you keep messing up and you keep falling and you keep sinning and you keep struggling, is the, is the answer is I just need to find some demon slayers. They can get the demons out of me and then I can have victory in Jesus. Is the thing holding you back from victory in Jesus? Is it demons inside of you? Whether you want to say, oppression or possession is the issue, though, that you need to be delivered from demons. Now, we talked about this on, I believe it was February the 8th. I believe it was February the 8th, 2023. For 29 minutes and 28 seconds, we talked about a new documentary that's coming to theaters on March the 13th called Come Out in Jesus' Name. Come out in Jesus' name. And I played the trailer for the documentary. And I told you that on March the 13th, I'm going to be in a theater somewhere in the United States of America watching this documentary. And then I will report back to you. And of course, in this documentary, at the end of the documentary, supposedly, they're going to have some kind of live simulcast with some mass deliverance, some getting the demons out of all the Christians. And this is, it seems that their whole point in this documentary, the the theological thesis of this documentary seems to be the problem today is that we have Christians. Now, they, they kept using the word in the trailer, oppressed, but if you saw all the visuals, it looked like people who were demon possessed. But basically, you need to be delivered. 
So we're right on the verge of the greatest awakening in the history of the church, according to them. But what's holding it back? What's holding it back? The issue now, it's not politics. It's not COVID. It's not Trump. It's not theology. It's not doctrine. It's demons. And if we can get the demons out, the church will be what it's supposed to be. And revival will sweep across the nation. And the greatest awakening in history will happen. Now, how widespread is this theological concept? Is it growing? Is it, is it something? Look, this is one of those situations where I'm trying to tell people we need to be on the lookout for this. I don't know how influential this documentary is going to be. I don't know. I don't know how many people are going to show up at theaters, at least from some of what we have seen. It appears that many theaters are selling out because it's one showing March the 13th. Many theaters across the country seem to be selling out. And that could be an indicator that this is going to be a big deal. I I think this may be a massive deal within the charismatic world. And that this, I I, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I don't want to hype something up, but I don't, but the, here's the thing. I don't want to hype it, but I don't want to ignore it and then be reactive. I would rather be proactive going, hey, guys, guys, we've got to pay attention. So I told everyone about the documentary, Come Out in Jesus' Name. It's coming to a theater near you, March the 13th, showing at 7 p.m. and maybe different in your time zone. But please check theaters in your local area. Be paying attention to what's going on in local churches to see, is this idea gaining momentum? And if it is, we're going to have to address it. So between now and and probably March the 15th, 16th, 17th, maybe all the way through the month of March, at different times I'll be turning on the microphone addressing this issue. And a couple of hours ago, in the middle of my very, 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 very bad day, I got a notification on YouTube that fighting for the faith. In fact, let me open up YouTube real quick. Let me open up the YouTube app. Um, Let me see here. Let me do a search. On. I'm going to just see how quickly I can find it. Fighting for the faith. Fighting for the faith. And five hours ago is when it was posted. They posted an episode of Fighting for the Faith called Do Christians Need Demons Cast Out of Them? Do Christians Need Demons Cast Out of Them? And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, He's going to be talking, he's got to be talking about this documentary. He has to be, he has to be. So I immediately saved it. Then I, I, I copied the, uh, the uh, web address, sent it to my inbox. Then I ripped the audio from it. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. We're going to see how Chris Rosebro from Fighting for the Faith is dealing with this. We're not going to review the whole thing. So I would challenge you, go to YouTube, do a search for Fighting for the Faith, you should sh- you should subscribe to the channel. Um, I think uh, Chris Rosebro does a great, 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 great job on looking at many of the issues going on in the church. Obviously, him and I would have some strong disagreements on infant baptism, but his understanding of law and gospel and the proper distinction of that, we would be in agreement with that and many other issues, but we would obviously disagree strongly. He's a Lutheran. I was a Lutheran. Obviously, I left Lutheranism. He he obviously stayed in Lutheranism. So um, we obviously would have a disagreement there, but I think his channel is well worth your time to uh, watch and subscribe. But I thought we could really advance this a little bit, seeing where Chris Rosebro, does he perceive this the same way I'm perceiving it? Because I'm perceiving it, because I, I think it's clear to me 
And the only reason I offer any hesitation is because I haven't seen the documentary yet. So I have to offer a little bit of hesitation. But my concern is if a teaching is beginning to grow, and I don't know how widespread it's going to become, but if it starts becoming widespread that you look at Christians and go, your problem is you have demons. Your problem is you have demons. First, that is... (laughs) That's a pretty psychologically scarring situation. Well, the reason you're sinning is you have demons. So then they supposedly get the demons cast out and then they end up still committing sin. Well, then at some point you're going to just realize, well, wait a minute, I never can get these demons out. It's a losing battle. I think it could literally lead to suicidal thoughts. It's my own personal, it's my own personal belief. But I believe this is something that has to be addressed. So we're going to advance this discussion. Again, I would challenge you to go back to my February the 8th episode called Come Out in Jesus' Name. Now, there we we were, I mean, literally, I think I had, someone had just sent me the trailer maybe 30 minutes before that, that broadcast aired, 25 minutes. So there was a lot there that we still you know, didn't have completely figured out. You'll hear me, you know, live on the air trying to search for tickets and figure out how much tickets are. There was so much information we, uh, I had no idea. That was one of those, here's the information, go live immediately. We did not wait. And so it's a little rough. It's not, you know, the most well-produced, but it's very real. So, but I've been watching it now, you know, I've got plans to, to watch this on March the 13th, plans to follow this and just to see where this goes. And to be warning people, because my job is to try to equip you so you're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And guess what? The only way to equip you to not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine is to keep my eyes open for what's happening and try to warn you before something becomes a big deal and not simply try to react to it later. It's about being proactive. And I think there are many churches that would be ripe for this idea. Well, all the problem is we're all demon possessed. That's the problem. So we need mass deliverance. We need mass deliverance uh, services in our churches, not to deliver the lost, but to deliver the saved from these demons. It's really, to me, I, I'm I'm kind of blown away by where this is going. Now, it may be that, I, and, and and listen, I'm not making any claim that this teaching hasn't all, always existed in some way, shape, or form. I just think that there's like something new happening with it. Because to me, it, it typically has felt that the focus is lost people have demons, cast out the demons, and then they get saved. This is more like, no, 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 you're saved, but you got to get the demons out. But the problem, we have a weak, sinful carnal Christianity is because of demons. I wish the Apostle Paul would have known that because he would have just went to the Church of Corinth and done a massive deliverance service and fixed the Church of Corinth. Yes, I'm being sarcastic. All right, but let's see how Chris Rosebro handles this. Again, this is from Fighting for the Faith, an episode that was posted five hours ago. Please go to YouTube, look it up, subscribe to it, listen to it. And for anyone on YouTube, This is very important. Anyone you listen to on YouTube, one, subscribe, two, give the videos thumbs up, and please comment because that those comments on YouTube is what helps the algorithm pick up and promote their content. So I say that for anyone you listen to that you like, but please, if you if you have the YouTube app, please subscribe to Theology Central. 
please give us thumbs up and please leave positive comments because that helps us as well. We don't, I mean, obviously we don't do video. It's an audio broadcast on YouTube, but you know, it's not our primary focus because we're on every other platform on the earth. But if you happen to be on YouTube some days and you want to listen to a Theology Central episode, that would be great. Give it a thumbs up. And we don't monetize our channel, so it's not like I'm telling you to go subscribe and listen so that I can earn some money because I'm not trying to monetize it. So it's just another way for us to try to get what we do here out to as many people as possible. And also, we don't have some, hey, join our our club you know, join our this for $15. You can sit, get some more content. We don't, we don't do any of that. All of our content is free and we try to give as much as we can, right? Like we give, you know, people can get access to curriculum and all the things we do. So, um, so obviously anything, you know, anything you can do to help us out is great. You know, reviews on Apple podcast is a big one. And then, you know, any of your apps, if they offer a thumbs up or a review or five or a star rating, any app that you're using, please do that because it is always super, super helpful. All right. If you're listening to us on Sermons 2.0, positive comments would be good because we definitely get plenty of negative ones. Okay. So a couple of positive ones would be very good. All right. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? All right. I, I was taking just a little bit of time making sure that anyone who was tuning in late was going to be here for all of this. So we're about to review an episode of Fighting for the Faith that pu- was published five hours ago, dealing with the idea, do Christians need to be demon, need to be released from demons? Do they need to be delivered from demons? Um, do, do Christians need deliverance from demons? That's that's kind of what we've been talking about going back to my episode, Come Out in Jesus' Name, about this new documentary coming to theaters on March the 13th. All right, so let's see how they handled this, and we will begin right now. Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying and doing in the name of God with the Word of God. Big shout out to those of you who are crew members. Uh, you are the ones who make it possible for us to do the work that we're doing. If you'd like to join the fight, uh, then uh, information on how you can join our crew is down below. So today we are going to talk about uh, can Christians or do Christians need to have demons cast out of them? That's the question. Do Christians need to have demons cast out of them? We're going to be listening to Isaiah Saldivar again, and uh, this is going to be a long episode. We're going to actually take a hard biblical look at this in order to really, really unpack this question so that it'll be a resource for people because there's a movie coming out in March, so it's we're just a few weeks away from it. It's going to be in thousands of theaters, and you know, it's called Come Out in the Name of Jesus, and it's all about casting out demons from Christians. Again, the question... All right, so first of all, I am so, so glad that he is dealing with this, and it is a long episode. The episode is an hour and 12 minutes. We are not going to review the whole thing. We're going to at least get into this a little ways. And we'll, and I'm just, I'm curious to see how he's going to handle this. Now, remember how I do my reviews. 
I don't listen to anything in advance. So I have no idea what he's going to say. There's always good and bad about that, right? Because sometimes I start reviewing it and going, what in the world is happening? I don't even know what to say, but it's more fun and it's more organic. It's more real. And it gives you that feeling that you just kind of, you know, you're just sitting down with me and we're listening and talking about it together. But the ultimate goal here is just to advance our conversation that we've already had and at the same time, point you to another resource dealing with the same subject so that you can get different perspectives and you can get more and more informed about this movie coming out and about this whole theological lane that is saying, hey, Christians, you need demons cast out. You need to be delivered from demons. And um, I, I'm going to do everything in my power to stay on this and keep talking about this as, as much as needed. And then who knows? Maybe, maybe somewhere in March, I'm like, well, uh, I wasted a lot of time on that. And you can say you were wrong and that's okay. That's, I would rather be wrong instead of not doing anything and then going, okay, guys, now we have to react to this. And we're, we're like six months behind. Uh, I, 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 I'm not a fan of that. So first of all, I'm thankful to the person who sent me the original trailer. I had not seen it. Don't know if I would have seen it. And I am grateful that Chris Rosebro from Fighting for the Faith is taking the time to address this as well. So make, please use all of these resources that are available to you. And let's see how Chris Rosebro proceeds. Question, do Christians need to have demons cast out of them? That's, a, that's our overarching question today. So let's uh, whirl up the desktop. And let me start with our web browser today. This is a slide we're going to be looking at here. We're going to talk about kind of the spectrum of oppression is the best way I can put it. And we'll show you biblically how this works out. But if we were to travel to Isaiah Saldivar's YouTube channel, uh, there's an upcoming movie called uh, Come Out in, in, in Jesus' Name. Come Out in Jesus' Name. And, you know, it's got, you know, False Apostle Pagani and a whole lot of... Uh, kind of the usual suspects, including Greg Locke. And this is not a biblical practice, and I need to kind of make this clear, and that is I know all about deliverance ministries. I've read Pigs in the Parlor. I've had deliverance done on me when I was in the Latter Rain movement. And I can tell you definitively, not only is it not biblical, it's quackery. And the, it, and I mean this, it, the, the people who are practicing deliverance need to be brought up on like charges of spiritual malpractice, because not only can Christians not be possessed by a demon, uh, that uh, the, we, we're going to definitively show that Isaiah Saldivar, like when he handles biblical texts, he twists them in order to make them appear like they support his concept of deliverance, when in reality, he's just trafficking in an old practice from the book Pigs in the Parlor. It's been around for a long time, decades. I know all about it, saw it practiced, had it practiced on me back in the day when I was in the Latter Rain movement, and it doesn't work because that's not the problem. Okay, now, a couple of things here. First of all, on, on any theological issue, and, and this is just, so, this is so maddening, it's so maddening, it's so frustrating, but he says, hey, the problem is when this person when he deals with scripture, he twists them. He twists them. So when it comes to any theological issue, it always comes down to an issue of hermeneutics. And I, I've, I've learned that 
I, I try to emphasize that over and over and over. When like let's say even a debate about infant baptism or a debate about you know, is God done with Israel? Has Israel been replaced by the church? I mean, you just go on and on and on. No matter what the issue is, all the issues are really hermeneutical issues. So, so many times now, at least my approach now, whenever someone wants to start disagreeing, I'm like, well, well I'm not going to disagree about that. Okay. How, what's your hermeneutic? What's your hermeneutical? Give me your hermeneutical principles. And uh, do I agree with those principles? Now, if we both agree on the exact same hermeneutical principles, yet we're coming to radically different conclusions and different interpretations, then either something something went wrong. So, But the first thing we have to do is agree specifically on how we are interpreting these passages. What is the process? What are the steps are we taking? What are we doing with the text? And if we, if we still end up with like night and day interpretations, it is important then to go, so what happened here? Because the issue is hermeneutics. And what we have a tendency to do is ignore the hermeneutical problem and just fight each other on this other issue. So I'm glad that he's acknowledging this, the way this guy handles the text is the problem. Hopefully he demonstrates that. Now he says this goes back to pigs in the par parlor. All right, let me look at this book. I'm going to have to look this up. I know I've heard of the book. I don't think I've heard of the book. I don't even know the last time I heard of the book. It's been a long time. Pigs in, if I can type right, in the, why am I having problems? In the parlor. All right. Oh, yes. I think I used to have a copy of this book like a long, 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 long time ago. Like a long time ago. Let's see here. Pigs in the Parlor, written in 1973, 1973. Um, let's see here what it says here. Uh, a Pigs in the par Parlor, a practical guide to deliverance. Uh, Frank Hammond explains the practical application of the ministry of deliverance pattern after the ministry of Jesus Christ. He presents information on such topics, how, how demons enter, when deliverance is needed, seven steps in receiving and ministering deliverance, seven steps in maintaining deliverance, self-deliverance, demon manifestations, binding and loosing, binding and loosening, uh, practical advice for the deliverance minister, answers to commonly asked questions, and more. The Hammonds also present a categorized list of 53 demonic groupings, including various behavioral patterns and addictions, and they include testimonies of deliverance throughout the book including pride, witchcraft, nervousness, stubbornness, defiance, mental illness, and more. With over 1.5 million copies in print worldwide and translated into more than a dozen languages, Pigs in the Parlor remains the authoritative book on the subject of deliverance. You can get a copy for your Kindle for $9.95 or paperback for $11.66. I'm going to save this to my notes. That's called Pigs in the Parlor, A Practical Guide to Deliverance. Now, I don't remember. I think I saw the book in the 80s. I think I saw the book in the 80s is when I saw it. I think I saw it. Maybe in the 90s. I don't remember. But I know this. 
and I'm and and I I know that obviously I may have missed something. Now you got to remember, I would have been a brand new Christian. I may not even been a Christian the first time I saw the book. Um but I would have been a new Christian at some point dealing with this book. And so maybe at that point it didn't register to me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're saying demons. They're they're saying Christians can have demons. And I'm not sure if that's exactly the focus of that book. I would have to look. Chris Roseborough seems to be indicating that this idea goes back to pigs in the parlor. And maybe it does. I, I may have missed it. And I think the reason why is this. I think this is what kind of had a profound impact on me. So I become a Christian. And I'm given this kind of teaching that now that you're a Christian, you can say yes to God, no to sin, you have victory, you've been set free. And basically, I came up with the idea, or at least it sounded like that's what they were teaching. I mean, they were explicitly saying these kinds of things. You're now a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That wasn't spoken of about my position, but about my life practically. And guess what I found out? I kept sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning as a now brand new Christian teenager. I, I kept, I kept struggling with all kinds of issues and all kinds of things. I won't go through all the things. I was having some problems. And I didn't understand why, because wait, the old is gone. Why am I still sinning? If everything is new, why am I still sinning? You've told me that I've been set free. And, and I'm like, I couldn't explain it. And nobody really wanted to just basically was read your Bible more and pray more and come to church more and find good Christian friends and don't listen to secular music and don't dance and don't drink alcohol and cut your hair. And I mean, it was just like, I, I it was such this like, well, wait a minute. Why do I have to do all of these things if I'm completely new? If I'm completely new, that means the sin nature is gone. Like nobody could give me any good answers. So I remember one night, like just defeated, dejected. I, I really was thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe either I'm not saved or maybe the only answer is to kill myself. I mean, like I was having some serious dark thoughts. So I basically go to my pastor like, well, I keep having these struggles. Could I be demon possessed? And he was like, absolutely not. A Christian cannot be demon possessed. And I think from that moment on, I didn't really give it much thought. And, and I was kind of done with that concept, right? So I, I, whatever was in pigs in the parlor, I didn't, it didn't register to me. So I may, I may, I should have been paying attention to this, but I don't feel like of all the other times I've encountered, like, you know, deliverance ministry and talks of casting out demons, that it, the focus was on Christians. I always felt that the focus was on the unbeliever, or maybe I just perceived it that way. All I know is when I saw the trailer for this new movie come out in Jesus' name, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. They're putting the emphasis on casting demons out of Christians. They're seeming, seeming to say that what's holding the church back is demon-possessed Christians. That, to me, was unique, and I and that's why I'm like, whoa, whoa, we got to pay attention to this. Even, even if Chris Rosebro says it goes back a long ways, if Pigs in the Parlor was published in 1973, I mean, that's not like... And from from a church history perspective, I mean, that's very modern church history. Does this go back further than that? That would be a good question. But let's see where Chris Rosebro goes. 
Okay, exorcism, by the way, is absolutely a necessary thing for those who are truly possessed by the devil. And we're going to provide a resource for you uh, that is actually a sound one if you're if if you really think you're dealing with actual demonic oppression and possession, or you know somebody who is, uh, you know, you don't send them to these guys. <laughs> no, these guys are quacks and wackerdoodles, and this is not a biblical practice. Deliverance is not biblical, and we'll explain it as we go. But what we're going to do today... Now, let me just help with my perspective here. If someone is possessed by a demon, and I'm just going to give this is just like cliff notes, quick perspective for me. And and not everyone agrees with this, but this is my perspective. If I see someone who's possessed by a demon, one, I immediately know they're not saved because Christians are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. There's no way a Christian indwelt with the Holy Spirit could also be demon-possessed. There's just no way. I'm now, I'm bought with a price. I'm owned by Jesus Christ. I'm now a child of, of God. I am now sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. There's no way I can be possessed. So if I see someone possessed, I immediately realize they're not saved. They belong to the devil, right? They, they, they're a child of the devil, that that's that's the only thing. So what I would say to do, and I and if this was to ever happen, all right, because well, we can get into how likely or unlikely this is or how realistic this is. I'm just going with in theory, if I met someone who I really thought was demon possessed, who it seemed absolutely obvious, what I would want to do is in the name of Christ, silence that demon so that I could speak to the person and then present the gospel to the person that they that there is a god who is holy they are a sinner they have violated god's law they're under the wrath of god they're under the condemnation of god they cannot deliver themselves they cannot save themselves and their only hope is to put their faith in the finished work of jesus christ the eternal son of god the second person of the trinity they are to put their their faith in what he did for them on the cross when he shed his blood and by faith if they'll put their faith in jesus christ well, guess what they become a child of god and the demon would have to leave and not just leave the demon would leave permanently so I don't think it's some big Hollywood movie. I don't think it's some big like conversation with the demon. No, 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 no. I need to speak to the person. I don't need to be having a conversation with the demon. I need to speak to the person and I need to give them the gospel because it's the gospel that translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's the gospel that, that translate that that brings us from the uh, being a child of Satan to an adopted child of God. It is the gospel that brings us to salvation and our sins are paid for and we are now sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's my perspective. I don't think it, I know people think there's all these steps you have to take and you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do that. I'm just saying, God, you're in charge. Silence the demon so that I can speak to this person and then speak to the person and say, your, your only hope is salvation. Your only hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I believe God is the one who has to grant the salvation. I, you know, I believe salvation is a work of God. But, I, I, but you know, still my job to present the gospel. That's, 
That's my, I know my approach is boring. You're like, that's not very Hollywood. I want something more dramatic. I want flopping around and foaming at the mouth and screaming and throwing things. No, I just want to talk to the person because it's in Christ that we are delivered. Is we're going to we're going to interact with a portion of a video that Isaiah Saldivar uh, put out called "Can a Christian be demon possessed?" And I'm going to point this out right now is that in this video, he's going to make the claim that Christians cannot be possessed. But what he's going to engage in is absolute obfuscation and a twisting of biblical vocabulary and biblical text. Okay, now see, this is important because this is what I felt the document, this is what I felt the trailer for the documentary was doing. Like to me, they're clearly saying a Christian can be possessed, but they seem, but they won't use the word possessed. They're using oppressed. A Christian can just be oppressed. But if you watch the trailer for the movie, come out in Jesus' name. But what they're showing people who are not oppressed, they're showing people who are possessed. They're showing all the classic signs of what possession would look like, you know, flopping around, you know, writhing on the floor, all of these things. You know, like with that, they, that's, that's demon possessed. So th- to, to me, this is the thing we're going to have to pay close attention to. If, if, if what is happening, sometimes in theology, there's these like little steps of evolution and evolution in language. So like, okay, no, no, no. A Christian cannot be possessed. They can be oppressed. But now what they mean by oppressed is basically what used to be possessed. That's a problem. And that, and the reason that's a problem is that's how people will be deceived. No, 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 no. I know a Christian can't be possessed. Yeah, but what you're claiming can happen, isn't that possession? So are we getting ready to get into a never-ending theological battle over the word oppression versus possession? This could be very, very, very subtle because there's a lot of Christians out there who will say, no, 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 a Christian cannot be possessed. But they're going to slide over into this theology saying, no, no, I, I do agree. But they're not saying that. They're saying you can be oppressed. And I'm like, yeah, but your oppression is basically possession. <laughs> Just because you call it a different name doesn't change what you're teaching. And it seems Chris Roseboro is, is seeing the same thing I'm seeing, right? Or I'm seeing the same thing he's seeing. Obviously, he doesn't know who I am and I know who he is. So I'm seeing what he is seeing. And we're going to definitively show that as we walk through this. And then along the way, we're going to walk through what does the Bible teach about demonization, um, to be demonized or possessed? What does the word daimonizomai mean? We'll take a look at that. We're also going to ask the question, what do we do as Christians when we're struggling with particular sins? One of the reasons why these guys are able to get traction is because as Christians, we still have a sinful nature. Yeah, it's true uh, that we are a new creation in Christ, but the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 makes it clear that uh, our sinful flesh is still here until... Okay, now I got to stop right here. It is true we are new creatures in Christ in our position. We're not new Christians in Christ practically because we are new creations in Christ practically because we still have a sinful nature. 
It's but but here's the thing. I do believe the reason this teaching will gain momentum is Christians are always struggling with how to answer. Why do we keep sinning? Why do people keep struggling? Why do people and everyone wants to come up with an answer? You're you're not saved. You lost your salvation. And now it's going to be, oh, you have a demon. That's the problem. Instead of everyone acknowledging we still have a sinful nature, sin is the normative uh, let me state it this way. Sin is the normative experience of the life of a believer. And to deny that means you have to deny God's standard, which is perfection. No one is ever perfect. So we're always in a perpetual state of sin. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. But we always like, no, 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 no. I mean, you're a new creature, but, but, but you still have a sin, a sin nature. Well, how can I be a new creature and old, everything is new and the old has passed away and still have a sin nature? That, that new creature, everything is new. The old is gone and everything is new. I can only relate to my position. It can only relate to what I am in Christ Jesus. It cannot be a description of what I am practically. I don't understand why that's so complicated in the minds of Christians. We want to say, you're a new creature. The old is gone, all is new. Wait, 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 wait. You still have a sin nature, you're still going to sin. What are you talking about? Jesus returns and either resurrects us and gives us a new body or, you know, or until we die, you know, we, and we no longer have the flesh to deal with. And as a result of it, the new person that you are in Christ is in a struggle with the old man, your old sinful flesh. You see, I know oh, the new person you are in Christ is struggling with the old man. Now, wait a minute. I'm a new, if I'm in, if, if you're, what you're saying is I'm a new person in Christ, the old is gone and everything is new. Then the old man's not there. I'm new in my position. I'm new in my position. The old is still there in my flesh, in my body. The the change is my position. And we want to keep making that change. Everybody wants to say, there's change. There's change. There's change. We're changed. We're new. I mean, we're not completely new. There's change. Well, we're not completely changed. We have power over sin. Well, not complete power over sin. You can say yes to God and know that, well, you can't always say yes to God. You can't always, it's like we always want to say one thing and then we want to backtrack it immediately. I, it's so weird how Christians have such a hard time with this. We want to quote all of these things about power and we can do it and we can do it and we can do it. And then we come in with all the qualifiers. Well, you can't do it perfectly and you're never going to do it. And you're going to still struggle here and you still have the old man. And wait a minute, you, after, after all of the big talk, we always backtrack it. Now I'm not saying Chris Rose bro is going to that extreme, but even him's like, you're, you're a new creature, oh, but you still have the old man. Well, wait a minute. That verse says anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone and all things have become new. But, well, that would mean the old is completely gone. But the key to that is if you're in Christ. In Christ, I'm new. In Christ, the old is gone because I stand covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as a result of it, the normal Christian life is, is that you're struggling with particular sins. And Let me say this. The normative the, Christ, the normative Christian life, the normal Christian life, the normal Christian life is a constant life of sin. 
Nobody wants to say it that way. Now, he's saying it's a normative struggle with sin, but I'm just going to be more brutally honest. The normative Christian life is sin. Why? Here, here's God's standard. Be holy as he is holy. Any lack of conformity to be holy as he is holy is by definition sin. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Any lack of conformity to that in thought, word, or deed is sin. Love your neighbor. I, I, I just give you three scriptures. Any lack of conformity to God's holy standard, which is perfection. And if there's any lack of conformity in thought, word, deed, or desire internally or externally, you're in sin. The normative Christian experience is sin. And you can deny it all day, but don't fight it. Just prove to me that you're holy as God is holy. You love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. If you're perpetually falling short of that, you're perpetually in sin, no matter how much you claim you're not. And, you know, if you're not sure, just check the Ten Commandments and which one of those are you having a hard time keeping. That's the one you're, 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 you're struggling with and you have to deal with. But all that being said, let's let Isaiah Saldivar, you know, begin the, his argument. And we're going to note the techniques that he's using in order to stop people from legitimately opening up the scriptures to test to see if what he is saying is true. These are thought-stopping techniques. I think that's uh, the term that uh, that uh, Stephen Kozar came up with, techniques like this. And yes, he's absolutely engaging in thought-stopping techniques. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what else is going on along the way. So here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the channel. Today we're going to talk about, can a Christian have a demon? This is such an important question. When now notice, can a Christian have a demon? What does that mean, to have a demon? So no, already he's engaging in blurring uh, of definitions. You know, what does it mean to have a demon? It comes to deliverance. Before we get into this, please hit the like button, leave a comment. It helps us ride the YouTube algorithm wave. So please make sure you do that. I want to answer three specific questions today in this video. And that's number one, can a Christian be demon possessed? How could a spirit-filled believer have a demon? And then Isaiah, show me one place in scripture where a Christian had a demon. So we're going to talk. So notice, show me a place in scripture where a Christian quote, had a demon. We are blurring definitions already. All right, we're not dealing with actual sound biblical categories. About this, first, I want to talk to you guys about my experiences. I've been doing deliverance now for 10 years, and I've only been doing deliverance on believers. Friend, I'm telling you. All right, now, this is important. He's about to make a case that basically says his experiences trump scripture. That experience is going to dictate what we are to believe as Christians rather than the word of God. I kid you not. Now, before he gets to that, let's let me do this. I'm going to I did not cue this particular text up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to duplicate that tab and we are going to I need to actually search in my ESV and we're going to look for Second uh, Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And here's the important text that I want to point out here. The Apostle Paul says, All Scripture, that, that's what we have in the Bible, it is theonoustos, it is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Mm-hmm. 
And so you'll note that Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says scripture is enough for everything that we need for both doctrine and life and practice. And you'll note that there is not a single biblical text where somebody after Pentecost, who is a true believer in Jesus Christ, is possessed, and I'm using that word on purpose, you'll see this, that is possessed by a demon and therefore has to have a demon cast out of him. In fact, there are no biblical texts that command Christians when dealing with temptations or difficulties or whatever to cast demons out of each other. Now, that to me is the best argument right there. If you're going to say the problem with Christians, hey, I've been del- I've been working in deliverance for 10 years, and I've I been delivering Christians from demons. That's what I've been doing, indicating the problem is it's Christians who have the problem. Well, wait a minute. So no, there's, and I 100% agree with Chris Rosebro here. There's nowhere in scripture where you're like, hey, 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 Church of Corinth, your problem is demons. Hey, Galatians, your problem is demons. When Jesus is talking to the churches, your problem is you need demon possession. So, I mean, every church in the New Testament, there's problems, 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 problems. The issue is never we need to get the Christians delivered from their demons. I mean, you think that would be like, hey, guys, now that you're saved, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're saved, but you're going to end up with a demon, and then you're going to need to be delivered from that demon so that you can live the full Christian life. Until you get rid of the demons, you won't live a full Christian life. Oh, and you're struggling. It's because of demons. This is because of demons, and demons are going to become the issue with everything, which begins to deny the real problem, which is the sinful nature. And it seems to to say what you need it's almost like the imputed righteousness of Christ is only just to get that initial salvation. From there, forget the imputed righteousness. Now you need these other things because, I mean, it's just, instead of pointing people to the comfort of imputed righteousness, now you look to be removed deliverance from a demon so that you can, well, now, I guess, be, I don't know, can you be sinless? I, I don't know. Other. If scripture is sufficient and it contains everything that we need for teaching, that would be doctrine, and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, and that we may be complete and equipped for every good work, why isn't there a single epistle in the New Testament that lays out the, the need for us to cast demons out? Now, I do have to bring this up. I do agree with Chris Rose, bro. If casting demons out of Christians is an important thing, why isn't there one passage that explains this, that demonstrates this? And I have to say, well, if you're supposed to baptize your babies at eight days old and that makes them a Christian, why isn't there one clear passage example of a baby being brought, baptized and say, boom, he's a Christian, okay? I mean, because... You gotta bring you gotta bring it up. One of the reasons I'm bringing that up is we 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 have the series we're currently doing on baptism in the early church. So um, it's just yeah, I just I just think that that's it's just funny how we can demand a certain we can demand a certain proof required by scripture for some doctrines, and sometimes we don't require that same level of proof for our doctrines. I mean, we're all guilty of this, but I I mean, I just think that I mean, come on. 
I mean, you just take your Bible. You've never heard of, of infant. I mean, you never heard of infant baptism, and you just read from uh, Genesis to Revelation. I think you're not. I don't think you're going to say, "Okay, eight days, bring the baby, put water, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, boom, it's a Christian." No, I think that you 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 impose that because you know babies are born with a sinful nature, and you're worried about what's going to happen. I think that, but that's a whole different subject. I just find it funny that he's so emphasizing. There's not one single example. There's not one single case. And I, okay. Of Christians. You'll note that Isaiah Saldivar, by beginning with this argument, is conceding the fact that there are no biblical texts that command Christians to cast out demons from Christians. Nope. Not a single biblical text that teaches it. So we've got a big problem here because his first move is to attack the sufficiency of Scripture. And by the way, this is a similar argument that those in Rome use, okay? And this is their justification for bringing in, you know, doctrines like prayers to the saints, prayers to the Virgin Mary, the perpetual virginity of Mary, the doctrine of purgatory and things like this. Okay, this is an argument that is used by those who refuse to abide within the bounds of Scripture. And I, in fact, I would give a very stern warning to all of you. You go beyond what is written, you are in danger, and I mean dire danger. Scripture makes this clear. And uh, the Apostle John writing to the elect lady, uh, the, the elder, the elect lady, we're not sure who, he was, who she was, but here's what we, what we know here. And John writes, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing some, a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. He's talking about the Gnostics. Such a one is the deceiver and is the Antichrist. Now, watch yourself. I love that. He knows that the epistles of First John, that those epistles are written to deal with the problem of Gnosticism. It's a polemic against Gnosticism. It's an issue to say, hey, don't follow the Gnostics. It's contrasting a biblical way of thinking versus a Gnostic way of thinking. Just, again, I, I totally, I agree. I agree so much with Chris Rosebro. So much we agree on. Uh, yeah, I do. I definitely disagree with his view on infant baptism, but there's so much I agree. And so, and I do appreciate his ministry greatly. I do, I do. I just don't, I can't listen to it all the time. And uh, my only, the only reason I don't listen to Chris Rosebro all the time is one, I would rather just have a easy access to an audio podcast instead of having to go to YouTube because I just prefer audio podcast. And every time I've subscribed to his audio podcast feeds, they're like six months behind. And it may be because he, he places certain content under his club or crew or whatever it's called that you have to pay for. And I'm not, you know, that, that, that that's a whole different subject, but, um, um, because I would just rather get it in my, you know, podcast feed every day. So, um, but the main reason I don't listen to it all the time is this. I can't just listen to hour after hour after hour after hour of, hey, look at all these wrong people. Look at all these wrong people. Look, because once you get into that cycle, then all you really want to do is just listen to how messed up everyone else is. And then you bash and criticize or expose how wrong they are. 
and then you don't do any positive feeding yourself the word of God. Now, I'm not saying he, you know, that it's always bad, but I just, I just feel like I just get caught up into like, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. I'm going to listen to them. They're bad. And then because I've fallen into that trap and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sometimes we need the positive teaching of God's word. And that's why to balance out what we do, we do the Bible study exercise and every week we're involved in a new Bible study exercise or, or we're continuing on like a seven-week series where we're positively st- studying the Bible to try to balance that out because the discernment ministry just becomes constantly pointing at how wrong everyone else is. And that can lead to spiritual pride. I'm not saying Chris Rosebro has spiritual pride, I'm not making that accusation. I'm saying for me, if all I do is listening to these programs that condemn everyone else, then it has a negative impact on me spiritually. So even for my own broadcast, I got to go, man, I've been going after this and going after this and going after this. Okay, where's the, where's the positive teaching, right? Where let's just dig into God's word. So um, sometimes I'm not balanced like I should be, but the Bible study exercise tries to force me to, to maintain that balance. And I just would tell you, hey, you, you, you maintain that balance in your own Christian life. Don't just get so down the rabbit hole of discernment ministries where you're like, they're wrong and 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 they're wrong. And and yet you may be learning a lot of theology and you may be learning a lot of scripture, but it just becomes you're learning simply to see who's wrong instead of learning to study God's word for your own spiritual edification and to see where you're wrong, okay? Because... That's that's an important issue. So just a side note. All right, here, let's continue. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So note here, we have a very firm warning in and I think that for, for a warning is for those who abandon the truth of Christ for Gnosticism. In other words, this would be someone who, hey, do not go completely after a religious system that abandons all the, all the key teachings of Christianity, like Christ coming in the flesh, Christ being the incarnate son of God, etc., etc. Scripture, to not go beyond what is in Scripture. To not, you know, and to instead, we need to abide in the teaching, abide in what the scriptures say. Keep that in mind. But watch where Isaiah goes. I'm going to back this up just a little bit. One place in scripture where a Christian had a demon. So we're going to talk about this. First, I want to talk to you guys about my experiences. I've been doing deliverance now for 10 years, and I've only been doing deliverance on believers. Friend, I'm telling you. I've had entire weekends of doing deliverance on just pastors and leaders. This has been for 10 years of doing deliverance on believers. I pray deliverance over thousands of Christians. And I'm telling you guys this, a person with an argument is never at the mercy of someone with experience. Many people that say, Mm -mm. no, Uh, the Bible is sufficient. Oh, wow. Person with an experience basically is better than a person with an argument. Person at an argument is at, at the mercy of the person with experience, I think is how he said that. That is frightening, frightening, frightening. Your experience means nothing in light of Scripture. I will judge your experience every single day according to Scripture. I don't care what your experience is. I don't care. I don't care. When I always, it drives me so, I get so frustrated when you're having some kind of discussion about something and people are like, well, I experienced it. I don't care what you, I don't care. I don't care what you experienced. 
because I'm going to go with scripture because guess what? How people are going to be deceived in the last days by experiencing miracles. They're like, it has to be from God, fire from heaven, worship the beast, signs and wonders and miracles does not prove anything that it came from God. So don't give me whenever you get into, I don't want to hear your experience. I want to hear scripture. Now, you could argue, I'll be fair, that a lot of times I do point to experience, like the fact that we all experience sin, but that is just an acknowledgement of reality. And then I go to the scriptures to try to understand that reality. Okay, but I understand that that could be thrown both ways. But the bottom line is we have to figure out what the scriptures say. And an experience must be judged by the scriptures. And I believe the experience that Christians experience, which is sin, 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 can be explained by scripture, which is we still have a sinful nature. And we are, this is true of us positionally, but not true of us practically. So there we go. Try, trying to ensure that I'm being consistent with my own argument as well. And, and let, me, let me give you another, another text here. Since, I mean, this is such bad reasoning. Um, we're going to look for the word Berea. Now, I think it's in Acts 17. Yes, here we go. And uh, let's take a look at what it talks about those in Berea, okay? And let's see, the Apostle Paul goes to Berea. Brothers immediately sent Paul to Silas to Berea. And here's what it says. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, all right, well, Paul was waiting. Right, here we go. Uh, yeah, uh, Jewish, now these were, th- ah, here we go. My apologies, got ahead of myself and got, got, my eyeballs got lost in the text. So here's what it says. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, the Jews of Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Yeah, they were far more noble. Why? Well, the Jews in Thessalonica refused to believe the gospel and persecuted Paul and Silas, and uh, and they had to leave Thessalonica as a result of the threats that they were making and, and the, the chance that they, their lives would have been ended by those folks in Thessalonica. So, But the, the Jews in Berea, they were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with eagerness, and then watch this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examining the scriptures daily. And so they would, they would hear the preaching of the Apostle Paul, and they would say, this is great. Now we need to check to see if what you're saying is actually biblical. And they even tested the Apostle Paul. That being the case, now, please note, that is a beautiful principle. When carried out in practical everyday life, it does become spiritual anarchy because every person is like, well, nope, I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to be like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Because just make sure we understand every person, whatever they believe, they would say, I searched the scriptures and I found out that what you teach is not true and what you teach is not true. Everyone out there grabs a Bible and says, they searched the scriptures, they determine what's so, and you're wrong. So, and, and, and it's a beautiful picture because you would think, well, everyone would search the scriptures and everyone would agree, but everyone searches the scripture and they say to see whether it's so, and they all, and everyone comes to a different conclusion and a different opinion. So just, I love the, I like to romanticize that picture. Look, there's Christians. I'm searching the scriptures to go whether those things are so, and there's this beautiful unity. But the reality is everyone opens the Bible, thinks that they know what it means, and tells everyone else that they're wrong. And that's just sad reality. 
case, you'll note that what Isaiah Saldivar is doing here is engaging in a thought-stopping technique in order to basically say, well, he has experience, therefore we really shouldn't test what he's doing against the scriptures. It's a way of keeping you from getting into the Bible to actually examine to see if this is a biblical practice and if he's rightly handling the biblical text. If the Apostle Paul doesn't get a pass and the, the church of Berea was commended for examining the scriptures to see if what they were being told by the Apostle Paul was true, then Isaiah Saldivar doesn't get a pass. I don't get a pass. Nobody does. Everybody has to be tested according to the Word of God. And let's see if he passes the test, but already we're off to a really bad start. Pastors and leaders, this has been for 10 years of doing deliverance on believers. I've prayed deliverance over thousands of Christians, and I'm telling you guys this, a person with an argument is never at the mercy of someone with experience. Many people that say Christians can't have demons have arguments, have head knowledge, have... Have head knowledge. You know, head knowledge because they know how to read their Bibles. Again... Thought-stopping technique designed to keep... He, uh, this person talks so fast. It's crazy. I know sometimes I talk fast and I'll go back and listen and go, man, I'm having a hard time. So I, he said it so fast. Is a person, a, a person with experience is never at the mercy of someone who has an argument. I think that's the way, he, I think I flipped it around. The person with an argument is at mercy for the, with those who have experience. I, I, I may have flipped it around because he says it so fast, fast. But I think he says the person, the person uh, with an argument, the person with an argument is never at the mercy of the person with experience. Uh, let me see if we can back that up one more time. He says it so fast. He's like moving a thousand miles a second. Pastors and leaders, this has been for 10 years of doing deliverance on believers. I've prayed deliverance over thousands of Christians. And I'm telling you guys this, a person with an argument is never at the mercy of someone with experience. Many people. The person with an argument is never at the mercy of the person with experience. Okay. I, I, okay. All right. Let's continue. Let's say Christians can't have demons, have arguments, have head knowledge, have. I have head knowledge, you know. Head knowledge because they know how to read their Bibles. Again, thought-stopping technique designed to keep you from actually examining what the Bible says. Ideas, but don't have experience. Isaiah, we shouldn't preach based on experience. Friend, the disciples preach on experience. In the New Testament... The disciples wrote down the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This was the disciples' experience. The Gospels were the experiences... Eyewitness accounts, sure, yeah. Of the disciples. In fact, when John the Baptist... The apostles just doubted Jesus and sent his disciples to Jesus while he's in prison. Jesus said this, tell him what you've seen and what you have heard. Another Your experiences do not rise to the level of truth that we are to embrace as doctrine and dogma in the. If you think about this, what this guy is basically doing, he's basically denying scriptures are given by inspiration of God. And they just wrote based off their experience. They just ba wrote based what, even if you say they wrote based what they saw and witnessed, it was still control. It was a controlling factor, right? They just didn't write anything they felt or anything they saw. Wasn't it controlled by the Holy Spirit? They wrote as the Holy Spirit moved them, right? The inspiration, is this man denying, literally denying the doctrine of inspiration? Church. Your experiences do not rise to that level. The experiences of the apostles and the historical narratives in the scripture, they do. And so you'll note what he's trying to do is take his experiences and bring them up on par 
with the experiences of the apostles to basically say, my experiences, they're just as trustworthy as the Bible. No, they are not. In other words, tell them the experience that you guys have had. He didn't say, tell them what this says and tell them what that... By the way, I'm going to show you Isaiah Saldivar casting a demon out of a Christian. Mm -hmm. He says, tell them experience. Jesus said in John 10, if you don't believe my words, which they did not believe Jesus is preaching, he said, believe in the miracles, i.e. the experiences that you've had. No, the miracles that Jesus performed, and there was no doubt that Jesus performed miracles, none whatsoever, okay? Your experiences do not rise to the same level. Yeah, and I, I understand that there's these other arguments that Chris Rosebro's making, but to me, the issue is, no, did they write everything they wrote down? Was it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? If it was, then it, do, it doesn't matter if they were writing down their experiences, the, the way they wrote it down was being controlled by the Holy Spirit because they wrote down as the Holy Spirit moved, as the, it's God breathed. So you've, you, he's, he's destroying the doctrine of inspiration here. Chris Rosebro is making some other valid points, but I'm just trying to, I see this other point at this time. As the miracles of Jesus Christ recorded in the Gospels, the hubris of this guy is actually unbelievable too many people are enlisted in the school of theology the school of prophecy yeah school of theology that's a bad thing you know because what do they do they read the bible the school of redundancy but not the school of redundancy look, look at all of these ad hominem attacks against those who are rightly handling the word of the truth. school of experience and when your experience does not match your theology you need to rethink your theology when you no when your experience doesn't match scripture you need to rethink your experience God's word is true. Start praying for genuine believers and they manifest demons. You either need to tell them that they're great actors or you need to go back to scripture. If a true, if somebody who is truly a believer, all right, and we'll just kind of throw this as a hypothetical, is later manifesting a demon, I can only come to one of two conclusions. They were a false convert or they're apostate. And I'll show that to you from the scripture as well. And realize that you're missing something. There is overwhelming biblical evidence that Christians can't have demons. John no, there isn't. There is no evidence that Christians can, quote, have demons. Because he's playing fast and loose with definitions here. And he's conflating definitions and distinctions. Said this, if everything that Jesus did was in scripture, it would take up the entire world. So you have to know that all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. There are many things. In other words, you have to believe my experiences. And they rise to the same level as the Bible. No, they don't. Things according to scripture that Jesus and the disciples did that we just don't read about. So mm -hmm. yet the apostle Paul, again, let me come back. That's so great. Basically, he's saying the Bible's not set. See, he's destroying the doctrine of inspiration and he's destroying the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. In order to, to bring forth this idea that the problem with Christians is they have demons. I'm telling you, something is happening here. Something is happening here. And this movie coming out on March the 13th, come out in Jesus' name, across theaters all across the United States of America. I, I think we're going we're gonna to have to deal with this issue. I, in fact, we're going to have what, what we'll do here is we're going to stop right there. That's a good place to stop, all right? That, that got us, we reviewed about 17 minutes of audio and our, we went an hour and five minutes. Now what you need to do is hop on YouTube, Fighting for the Faith with Chris Rosebro. Watch, you can fast forward his audio 
to about the 19 minute mark and watch the rest. There's another 55 minutes left. And um, please pay close attention to what he had to say. If there's something you watch that you want me to address specifically, just email me, give me the timestamp, and we will just go to that particular segment or that particular statement. It'll make it easy. And then we can address, uh, add this. But I just want you to, I, I'm just, I'm concerned that we have a, something is happening here within theology where even if they may not, they may not want to use the word possessed, but they're going to say that Christians are oppressed and that we need deliverance ministries and the problems within the church and the problems within Christian lives are demons and they have to be delivered almost like an exorcism. And that is going, that is a major, major, major problem, right? Now, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about this off and on in different ways from now well into March when the, the movie comes out and we're going to try our best to, to be in front of this and not behind it. So, um, yeah, there you are. There you are. Uh, Fighting for the Faith, Chris Rosebro, find it on YouTube. Watch it. Let me know your thoughts about any of this. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I thought it was an important subject to discuss this evening. And uh, there you have it. Now, I feel like, I feel like we, we can't stop there, but we, we, we will, we will. And uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll be talking about this in different ways moving forward. Just trust me. We'll be talking about this in different ways moving forward. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. We'll be hopefully doing some live broadcasting tomorrow. If not, Sunday will be relatively normal Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then uh, probably Monday or Tuesday, we'll get back hopefully into a really good schedule. Things have been messed up. And uh, well, hopefully we can kind of get back and bring you the content that you deserve to get. All right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.